Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm reading from chapter 6, beginning with the ninth verse. Some words from Jesus. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have been, have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. After the meal has been prepared, those present around the table extend hands and pray together. Words of thanksgiving, words and actions of love form a circle and form a sacred ritual. In a dimly lit corner of an old cathedral in Eastern Europe, a woman slips in and in a pensive and tearful moment, she lights a candle. Is it a prayer for her troubled son? Is it an appeal for God to somehow bring light into the darkness of her estranged marriage? Is it a petition to God to heal someone close to her? Who knows? The family sits in the corner of a crowded hospital waiting area while their loved one is taken off to another surgery. The pastor comes in and gathers the people amidst all these other people, gathers the family in a small circle and prays for the patient and prays for the doctor and prays for the medical team and prays for God's grace to be at work in all these moments, especially as the anxiety for that family increases. The news reports and the photos keep showing up. Dilapidated buildings and broken hearts. Maybe it's Syria. Maybe it's the result of tornadoes in the Midwest. Maybe it's new challenges in the Congo. And the words that form are not only petitions to God to help and bring relief But questions, why God? Why such suffering and pain and loss? And just as we did last week, we come around this Lord's table and we ask God's blessing upon bread and cup that they may be food for our faith, sustenance for our souls. Each of these moments and so many others, is an act of prayer. These acts all reflect our sincere inclination to reach out beyond ourselves, to connect our lives to God, to affirm that life is bigger than what we know. Whether with words or no words, with just a little bit of faith or tremendous hope, And faith, we have a glimpse of that familiar 
phrase from St. Augustine that comes from many centuries ago. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. As we move through the season of Lent, a time of reflection and renewal, a time of refreshment and recommitment, I want to give some energy to the subject of prayer, and specifically to the Lord's Prayer, which we also affectionately call the family prayer. It's for the family of Christians all around the world, this prayer. We will look at the Lord's Prayer across the coming weeks. Presbyterian New Testament scholar and professor Ken Bailey tells of going to Latvia in the former Soviet Union soon after the demise of that great Eastern Bloc country. Bailey was invited by the Latvian Lutheran Church to come and lead a seminar. Most of the participants in the seminar were between the ages of 25 and 35. This meant that their whole lives of education had been in the former communist system, which was determined to indoctrinate everyone in atheism. So Bailey was intrigued at how any of these young people had come to Christian faith in such a setting, and he asked one young woman at the seminar, was there a church in your village? No, came the reply. The communists closed all of the churches. So did some saintly grandmother instruct you in the ways of God, he asked. No, it wasn't like that either. All the members of my family were atheists. Did you have secret Bible studies? Was there some underground church in your community that nurtured you and gave you faith? No, none of that, she said. So what happened? And the young woman said, well, at funerals, we were allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. As a young girl, I heard those strange words, and I had no idea who we were talking to. No idea what the words meant. No idea where those words came from. No idea why we were reciting them. When freedom came at last, she said, I had the opportunity to search for the meaning. And when you're in total darkness, the tiniest point of light can be very bright. For me, the Lord's Prayer was that tiny point of light. By the time I found its meaning, I was a Christian. Perhaps some attention to the Lord's Prayer in these days will give us a point of light that's bright for us, deepening our faith and clarifying our call to be followers of Jesus. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus starts talking about prayer and gives us the Lord's Prayer. He's been pointing to the kingdom, and then he starts talking about prayer. He says, be careful when you're practicing piety. Don't be heaping words upon words, phrases upon phrases. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And he recites the Lord's Prayer. We live in a culture where words are everywhere. Bombarded by words, we are, all of us. Just this past week, I was in the waiting room of a local hospital. The TV set was chattering on from a news station. Two people near me were talking on their cell phones. 
The receptionist was calling out names for patients to come and step forward. The area was surrounded by reading material, magazines for people to occupy their time, more words. And then my own cell phone kept getting text messages from the person I was to meet for lunch in one hour telling me he was going to be late. We need words. We depend on words. Words are good. But I had the sense in that moment that I was drowning in words. When Jesus teaches us the prayer and to pray, his first act is to invite us into a world of few words and powerful words. Do not just fill the air with words like the culture tends to do, he says. Pray then like this. And he recites those relatively few lines of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' words in teaching us how to pray are few and powerful. More than that, the first word of this family prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is an Aramaic word, Abba, Abba. Aramaic was the common language in the first century across the whole region there, Palestine. But the Aramaic-speaking Jews of the first century recited their prayers in Hebrew, not Aramaic. So when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, and opens the prayer, first word is an Aramaic word, he's sending a powerful message. There is for Christians no special No sacred language. When you pray, you do not need excessive words, he's already said. And when you pray, you can and should use your very basic common language, your heartfelt language. That's the point. For those who heard Jesus speaking these words, it would have been so refreshing. God is more interested in hearing our prayers than in hearing our well-formed Hebrew words. For us, God is more interested in hearing our prayers, not our perfect language, not our nervousness about saying it right, or whatever else might prohibit or inhibit our praying. God is most interested in hearing our hearts. When Jesus opens the Lord's Prayer with an Aramaic word, he is urging us to be sincere, to pray from our hearts with whatever whatever is going on in our lives. He's teaching us about the very essence of prayer. To pray is to seek to live life before God, in God's presence. To pray is to connect all the aspects of our lives to God's life. It doesn't take special language. It takes hearts open to God. This can encourage us in our prayers. It's not about getting the words right but getting our lives aligned with God's life and staying connected with God. And that Aramaic word that Jesus begins the prayer, Abba, means so instructive too. So many references to God in the Bible remind us who God is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We hear that over and over. That phrasing places God in a particular history with a particular people, and that is important. Elsewhere, especially for the Jews, God is addressed as the Holy One or the Mighty One or some other phrase. But Jesus begins with simple words, Our Father. 
when we pray, our prayers connect us to the God of the Bible for sure, the God of Abraham and Sarah and others. But Jesus says, Abba, and celebrates a vision of family and connections that go far beyond a particular people or a particular history or a particular culture. See, every person has a father. And if God is our father in whom our lives are lived, to whom our hearts are connected and should be connected, there are no cultural or racial or historical insiders and outsiders. We all belong to God. And this is very important. We are so good at separating one another with cultural and historical and other boundaries. Moreover, this word Abba does not mean just father. It is the common word used and spoken across the Middle East for earthly father, and its meaning is clear and it's well known, and it's not just a formal term, but more like daddy. Daddy. The term has deeply personal and deeply intimate connotations. Abba, in the Middle East, is often the first word spoken by babies. The first word that they learn. It's not just the name of someone in the household, but the name that embodies love and care and protection and affection and encouragement. It is a term that implies respect in addressing a superior, but it also implies profoundly personal relationship. And this word, Abba, is not about what your or my personal experience of your or my father was. Some of us may have terrible experiences of our fathers, but in this prayer and in our relationship to God, this is what Jesus wants us to know. God is real. God is near. God is close. God is there. God acts. God is the loving one we may never have experienced anywhere in life. And Jesus' point, again, is about the essence of prayer. When you pray, simple words are best. When you pray, common language is best. And when you pray, personal and intimate and familial terms apply. God is that close, that real, that caring, that interested in your life. This, too, should encourage us in our prayers. And then, if we pray to God in personal and intimate terms, who is near and caring and attentive, when we call God our Father, Abba, we also have to turn to those around us and know that's my brother and that's my sister. And that's the people on the pew with us. And that's the people on the street with us across this city. And that's the people all around this world. Jesus wants us to be so connected to God that we are also connected to each other. We can never say we love God and are not connected to our brothers and our sisters. We can never think that we are related to God because God is the one who made us and claims us, and not love our brothers and our sisters. These things always go together. This is the axis of our lives, known and loved by God and related and loving of our brothers and sisters, related and claimed by God and connected forever 
to those around us. And folks, we can always keep working on that. If you haven't been to the Science Museum of Virginia on Broad Street and seen the new exhibit on race, I encourage you to make a visit there. It makes the point that despite our various colors, despite our various appearances and cultural distinctions, the concept of race has long been mostly that, a cultural distinction, mostly an unfortunate human invention that has kept some people down and other people up. Regardless of our colors or cultural distinctions, we all share the same DNA. And we all share, all human beings, basic longings, and basic needs, and basic hopes, and basic desires. And Jesus urges us to pray to God, our Father, to remind us that we are all brothers and sisters all across this planet. The next phrases in this great family prayer elaborate on that Abba, who is in the heavens and hallowed or holy be God's name. See, God is personal and known, but not only near, God is in the heavens. God is caring and intimate, related to us, but God's name is holy, hallowed, which means God is set apart from us. These two short phrases, who is in the heavens and hallowed be God's name, are developing the tone for a faithful life with and for God, echoing the psalmist. Oh God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We look at the heavens. What are mortals that you actually care for us? All of us are part of life related to God, but our lives are to serve God, who is over all, who reigns in heaven. All parts of our life are lived in God's presence and All of life is for this holy and hallowed one, which means our lives are to be holy as well. Set apart for God's work in the world. That's what life's about. I'm going to invite you to listen to this quote from theologian and spiritual writer Howard Thurman. And I quote, Again and again we find ourselves deeply distressed because There's so much that is dependent upon us as individuals carrying on responsibilities within a world which is small and compact and demanding. So overwhelming is this kind of pressure on us that we are tempted to rely, despite all our inadequacies, upon our own strength. Again and again we say to ourselves, if I do not depend upon myself, if I do not depend upon that which I'm able to do for myself and for those whom I'm responsible, then there is no other source upon which I may be dependent. And then our minds are flooded with multitudinous instances in which strength did come to us, and it was not of our own making. A lift to our burden did come, All around us there are manifestations of the grace of life and the tenderness and the mercy and the presence of God. End quote. 
Friends, to pray the family prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, reminds us that all things do not depend on us. That God is God, and God reigns in heaven, and God reigns on earth. That God is holy and promises to make all things holy. These are not just opening words. These are intended to be transforming words. Words that take root in us and change how we think and how we function in the world. Words, connections that frame our life under the grace and the tenderness and the mercy of God. All of this should encourage our prayers related to this wonderful, holy, present one. Friends, may these days of Lent find us framing our lives in the family prayer and living life under the grace and the tenderness and the mercy of God. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, God. Simple words with power. Thank you, God, for reminding us and calling us again faith and life and following Jesus. Amen.